Welcome to the Fit Money Podcast, where we'll discuss something we all need through our entire life, financial literacy, but also asking the tough question, why aren't students learning it? Financial literacy is more than the math and a behavior we'll need beyond the classroom. So we're learning how we can help students, families, and teachers build a new generation of financially fit students everywhere. On this episode, Fit Money Executive Director Jessica Peltier is joined by Danielle Piscadlo and Michelle Brathwaite from Women's Money Matters to share their work and programs to amplify and empower women on their financial journey and also address the systemic barriers women face around their finances. Together, they discuss the role gender plays in how personal financial experiences are built and what we can do to work towards equity in the personal finance space. Hello, Danielle and Michelle. I'm so excited to have you guys join us today. Thank you for having us. We're really excited to be here. I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. I have so many questions and we're going to dive really deep into Women's Money Matters. But what I'd love to start with is just to get to know both of you a little bit better. Um, Danielle, I know you've been doing this work for, for some time and Michelle, you're new to the organization. Tell me something about the organization that makes you feel so passionate and really wake up every day to do the work you do, Danielle. Yeah, thanks for that question. Uh, for me, it's the, the theme throughout my career has always been about the model of women helping women. Before coming to Women's Money Matters, I worked at uh, an international microfinance organization, and a really key piece of that was bringing together women into self-help groups and um, organizing you know, around um, women lending each other money in order to sort of grow or start a business internationally. And so that theme of women helping women and supporting them on their journey to greater financial security and wellness has, has been a passion of mine uh, throughout my career. And that's exactly what our mission and, and model is at Women's Money Matters. That's great. And Michelle, what uh, brought you to the organization? I, I think, as Danielle said, you're a fairly new board member. Um, tell me about an experience that perhaps you had in, in your life or, or a friend or, or colleague that really called out why this is so important to be teaching women financial literacy. Yes. Um, just before I answer that, I just want to just say thank you um, just for the invite to be on the call. Um, this is awesome. Um, yeah. So mine hits a little bit maybe deeper on a personal level. Um, I, I am first generation, my parents both immigrants, and uh, my mom didn't um, plan to be on be a single mother, um, but she did. And, um, and what ended up happening was, um, I just saw my mom really struggle to try to do the best that she can for me. And, um, and, I, and then as a result, because I wasn't taught about money, um, I struggled. And um, my mother was 45 years old. She had suffered an aneurysm and a stroke. And so I immediately became a caregiver. As we know that most women become caregivers. And unfortunately, I became a caregiver very early. So I saw firsthand how important it is to be on top of the finances because I was still trying to dig myself out of student loans and credit, uh, credit card debt. And then now I had to be a caregiver um, for my mom. Um, so that's what really prompted me to even go into business um, to be licensed um, in financial services to be able to assist because of what happened to what I saw happen to my mother. And then here I am almost following the same path because I wasn't taught 
you know, the essential skills of, of money management. You know, that's such an interesting dichotomy. And, and I'm so sorry to hear about your mom and her illness, but you're right. So many women do take on caregiver roles from kind of birth to the end. I mean, we, you know, we support our children, obviously, as do all parents. But but when, you know, our own parents become elderly, I think it does tend to fall often on, you know, the daughters. And so it is really amazing that, you know, kind of society says that, you know, women should be caregivers, but yet we're not the ones necessarily that are taught about, you know, financial uh, security uh, and resiliency. Uh, Danielle, tell me about the work that you do, because I know that you're really uh, trying to change that and really support women so that they can actually kind of fulfill those roles that society is basically telling us that we need to do. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you bring up many good points that I want to touch on. So, you know, at Women's Money Matters, we bring together women into intentionally small groups to learn from each other, support each other, and um, and really be, a, you know, a, a, a cohort of, of support, right, to feel that sense of belonging that comes with being part of, of a group. Uh, each woman that comes into our program then that joins one of those cohorts is matched one-to-one with a volunteer coach, which is a really important part of our model. And together they go through a series of financial health workshops that take place weekly uh, over a period of three months. So it's a pretty comprehensive program in that way. But the reason why we exist as an organization is because there are so many systemic barriers that women face around their finances, around money. And one of them that you just touched on so perfectly is this kind of bias, I would say, that we have that, you know, sees women more as caregivers. And therefore, like for each child that a woman has, she traditionally earns 4% less, whereas for each child that a man has, he earns 6% more because he's seen as needing to be the breadwinner. So there's really these like deep-seated biases that we continue to have in our culture that sort of put women into that caregiving role and that that hurts them financially because that is essentially, you know, unpaid labor that that they do for society. You know, that's interesting. We've heard for many, many years now and, and probably decades about kind of that pay gap. Um, And I think it's really interesting to kind of boil it down because I don't think at the end of the day that, you know, CEOs across the world just want to say, oh, let's pay them less because, you know, it's, it's, I think, you know, because like you said, you know, maybe they have to take time off more often or, you know, they, they do have to be, you know, caregivers and, and be in all the different places. So is there a fix for that? You know, is there a path that we see that, you know, we do still want to care for our families. It's a great role. I'm a mom. I wouldn't have it any other way. But but is there a path that we can potentially start to equal that out a little bit more? Yeah, I'll happily take this one because the pay gap is is one of the topic areas that we as an organization, um, you know, do center some of our advocacy work around and we are proud contributors to the Boston Women's Workforce Council. And so I'll just start there. I think one of the the main um, 
ways to fix it is through data, is through really highlighting the gap and having uh, employers, you know, sign on to that 100% talent compact and be uh, contributing data, uh, both from a gender perspective and also from a racial perspective and and the, having those internal insights into their own pay gap. You know, so I think starting with data and awareness is key. You know, unfortunately, a lot of it does go back to the the biases that we were just talking about, which are much harder, I think, to um, overcome at a societal level. But you know, there's a there are, there are ways, and there is work being done around this. And you know, awareness raising is one of the things. But certainly, as we've seen through the pandemic, you know, many women um, just also require like more flexibility in the workplace. And you know, I think that if there's any silver linings that have come out of COVID, that may be one of the biggest ones for for women in uh, in addressing kind of that ability to um, you know stay full-time in, in the workplace and uh, and hopefully address the pay gap over time. I was actually just going to say that. I think it's it's a good thing to be an optimistic person. And so I always do say the silver lining of, of the pandemic is perhaps that flexibility is, is a little bit more normal now, uh, which I think is going to help tremendously. Um, Michelle, you, you touched on, you know, your family situation and how all of a sudden, you know, illness can can really bring about a drastic change in financial situation. According to your uh, statistics, um, one in seven women in the U.S. live in poverty. Um, obviously, health care is a massive um, component of that. You know, what else do you see that's really driving that uh, today? Yeah, um, a lot of it, too, is even just, um, you know, just working single single mothers that are working, just working on mm-hmm. one income. Um, you know, especially divorced women as well. You know, um, I see that happening a lot, like with some of my clients um, that are, you know, once they're married, but then they're separated and they're working on one income and then they're now they, they go, they're juggling kids, you know, all alone. Um, but uh, the problem we see sometimes, you know, even before the, the divorce happens is that women, you know, usually usually are the ones that are, taking care of their children. So they don't have the same amount of time in the, in the, in the workforce. Um, so they're not contributing. So that, so that means also they're not contributing to the retirement plans and things like that. Um, so, and then there are, you know, I mean, a lot of corporations have gotten better, but there was a, a time when they didn't even want to even hire you, you know, if you were a, a, a working mom, they would, I mean, obviously, you know, it's against the law to ask, Hey, do you have children? You know, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, but that that was a serious that was a serious that was a serious issue, and um and I'm glad you know that a lot of you know a lot of change has happened in the workforce. You know, especially being very open to um, mothers' hours, being very open to having systems in place where if you are just if you just had a baby, where you can have a a quiet space where you can you know, pump, you know, your child's milk and, you know, and things like that and not have it, have it be an issue. It, you know, one of the things I, I saw recently too, I don't know if Danielle, if you saw this, but they were talking about um, even occupational segregation um, that was happening, that happened during the, the pandemic um, because they were like, they said that six and 10 women um, were just employed in, in just those three sectors that were the hardest hit by, you know, the pandemic, which was like what, retail, um, hospitality, healthcare. So again, um, when, when, you, when you have all these factors 
of um, what happened with the pandemic and what was by societal is what we're supposed to do, but then also too, when we're out in the work, when we're out of the workforce taking care of our, our children or our parents, it's very tough to kind of, um, you know, to, you know, to move forward, but we still, um, but this, again, there still have been some strides in the workforce, but we still got a lot of work to do. I, I just think it's just ridiculous that we even have to even ask, right? You know, you know, the answer is always no, unless we, unless we ask. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, the tough part is, is that so much of our healthcare system is based on work and employment, right? We rely so much on our employers for that access to quality, um, you know, health insurance. And so that puts women sort of at an immediate disadvantage, especially, you know, many of the single moms that we have in our program at Women's Money Matters. You know, we were, um, we did an event earlier this year that was centered around this documentary film called Savvy. And they make the point that most Americans are one accident away from financial ruin. And that's a really important thing as a, as a family, as a woman, as a single mom, for sure, to like, be worried about, mm-hmm. especially during COVID, we saw so many moms that were worried about what would happen to my kids if I got sick. And um, and for sure, you know, as Michelle pointed out, there's a reason why they were calling it a she session, right? Because mm-hmm. so many of the the industries that are heavily um, staffed by women were, were hit so, so hard. So what I'm hearing, uh, you know, where there's so many great ideas about, you know, how to, you know, talk about the pay gap and whatnot. But I think one of the things we focus on here at Fit Money, and I know you agree, is that resiliency. We know that life, unfortunately, you know, let's hope not another hundred years before another pandemic, but but we know that <laughs> the stock market goes up, the stock market goes down, and and you know, you lose a job, you gain a job. And and so and financial literacy is one of those skills that you can potentially deal better, let's just say, with with some of those bad times. And, and, and so that's why we focus so much on education and awareness, just like you said, Danielle, the awareness is so important. And starting as young as possible. And I love to see, you know, young students that really take an interest uh, in this, uh, not only for their personal satisfaction and, you know, thinking of all the things they want to be when they grow up, but, but really hoping that they build that strength uh, for when, you know, the not so good times uh, come along. Talk about, you see, you know, so many mothers and, and families. Um, do you see that, you know, they're kind of bringing their younger children kind of into the discussions, um, recognizing, as we say as parents, you know, we want our children to have kind of better futures than perhaps we are having now? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of ways that we see kids become very involved in the in the family planning in our program. You know, we um, we start our work with a vision boarding exercises that I think is very powerful because it really helps you know the the moms in our program like center and and sort of see their goals for the family. But we do see them bringing in kids too, right? It's a very visual representation of like, what are we saving for? What is the kind of big picture goal of, you know, is it moving out of shelter, getting a place of our own? Is it, you know, a small family vacation we're going to take this summer to the Cape or uh, whatever it may be. So the vision boarding is one thing that's that sort of kids can kind of very uh, get into in a, a tactile way with, 
with their 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 moms in our program. But we also have a program that's specifically for younger women between the ages of 14 to 22 called Life Launch. And that, I agree with you 100%. I mean, the reason we started that program is because so many women who were coming into our programs and our adult uh, program, Financial Futures, were already in trouble with debt, already in trouble with credit cards. And we wanted to highlight, you know, at a very young age, the power of, you know, putting money away, building that safety net, you know, compounding interest, having it work for you, not against you. And, uh, and even, you know, a micro investing, anything that you can put away into, you know, the stock market. Yes, it goes up and down, but over time it goes up and it's a very strong wealth building tool. I, I love, I love the vision board. I think we should all, you know, check out our own every now and then and make sure that we're, we're on that path. We were having this conversation recently about kind of the value system behind money. And mm. even though for so long, and even still today, money is kind of the taboo topic. You know, you're really not supposed to talk about it. That's private, it's behind closed doors. Um, but yet we are judged so heavily on what we have. You know, people have to get, That's you true. know, the the best car, the best house. You know, parents so often are, are don't want to say no to their their child's requests for the new shoes because of that judgment. Um, Michelle, how do you deal with that with your clients that are coming in and and perhaps they are, you know, putting more and more on their credit cards just because they they want to show that stability, even if we all know deep down there's it's not really stable underneath. Correct. Yeah, that's a that's a good um, that's a good question. Um, so a lot of it too is um, you know they feel there's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of guilt and shame. And, you know, one of the things that I like to, when, when I'm serving the community is let know, you know, that it's not your fault. It, it, a lot of it, a lot of this issue around financial awareness is systemic. They don't teach it in elementary school. They don't teach it in high school and even higher education. I think it's just, I think it's horrible, um, especially where, when we get into college, you know, that's where we're first solicited with credit cards, but there isn't a, there isn't a class on debt management. That That's awful, right? You know, and so... As we get caught up, we feel like, oh, well, since I didn't have, I want to give these things to my children, you know, for the sense of guilt and or, and also a lot of peer pressure, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of peer pressure. So trying to combat that. But a lot of times when I when I talk to my clients, I said, hey, listen, you know, the best thing that you could you can give them is not so much a, a, a things. Yes, things are important. But we have to make sure that you know, that they fit within the budget and we're kind of prioritizing. And it's not saying, no, you can't do wonderful things for your children, but how, But what are the things that you can maybe give your child to kind of set them up for life? And, um, you know, when you're weighing, a, you know, it'd be nice that if we can trade in all the shoes and bags, you know, for, 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 for college, right? But we can't, right? So, um, so a lot of times we just, we just try to figure out, okay, well, maybe if we can plan better, what, what does budgeting look, you know, look, look like in terms of, all right, is it something that we can say for maybe later? I'm not saying you can't do it. It's just maybe it doesn't make sense to do it now in terms of priority. If you can't meet, if you can't, you know, make your rent or whatever the situation is, do we really want to throw a, um, a $1,500 birthday party for a three-year-old? You know, you know, those type of, you know, you know, those type of things. Again, not judging, it's just talking about, you know, uh, you know, prioritizing. And I think that that's what it is. It's just um, setting priorities and really 
getting a good understanding a need, you know, versus versus um, you know, versus a want. Yeah, and I think what you touched on too that I I use, you know, in my own family is that transparency. You know, look, I don't take my mortgage statement out with, you know, my 9-year-old cuz that would be very confusing. But but certainly when we do have to say no or like you said explain the opportunity cost. If you get this, guess what? You're not going to get this. Um, it's making them, I think, a little bit more self-aware. And I hope I'm giving them that rationality. You know, look, Correct. we're not perfect human beings. Just because we're moms doesn't mean that we know all the answers either. And so, yeah. you know, talk about kind of just building that self-awareness, Danielle, in, in those sessions, which I would imagine are, are so powerful because you are able to deliver that one-on-one support. Um, they always say that, you know, you can't really highlight a, a problem until you personally identify yourself as having that, that, that issue. Um, so talk about that. I really just identifying the issue is probably, I would say, a fair amount of the beginning work that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. We all have a relationship with money that goes mm-hmm. so unacknowledged, I think, in our kind of consciousness. But I just saw in July, the New York Times had an article about financial trauma that really resonated with me because it is really a topic that we see play out in some form or another consistently throughout our workshops, right? And it can play out in different ways. You know, some women sort of have this like I saw my parents spend, 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 and that's, you know, what I then a trait that I take on or others feel like because I didn't have a lot growing up, all I want to do is save and scrimp and not spend a dollar on myself or my kids. So it's interesting that that idea of financial trauma and and kind of the link between financial well-being and emotional mm-hmm. well-being and mental well-being. And so that's one of the things that does tie back to kids. You know, we the issue that Michelle just touched on of this like guilt. We see that happen, right? I feel badly my kids are growing up, you know, um, in a shelter or without maybe a, a second parent. And so I want to fill that void for them, right? I want them to be accepted in school. I want them to have the brand name stuff and, you know, it becomes this bye, bye, bye cycle. But really sometimes the best thing you can do for your children is to be, is to have that like calmness about money and not be stressed out about money and not worry about how you're going to buy food or pay rent or, um, you know, so it's, it's really uh, an interesting link that, that exists between financial well-being and, and uh, like social and emotional well-being as well. Absolutely. And I just love that, you know, the ability to understand the emotional side of money, you know, and that's why we say all the time that yes, there there is math involved. We all know that you know building the budget takes some addition and subtraction, but it is so behavioral. Um, you know, you're you're having to make decisions that are really hard and difficult because of that want, that drive to to have these things. And and uh, you know, opening a savings account is a, a wonderful way to start your child off. But if we're not teaching them also how to be smart spenders, you know, we are consumers by nature, just like you said, we need food, we need shelter, you know, we need education. Um, So it's so important to really understand what's driving your emotions. And if I could just bring that back to the conversation then about sort of how women are also treated differently in our society, you know, a ton of marketing dollars go into telling women that they are broken in Mm -hmm. some way 
and here is a product to fix you, right? Whether Correct. it's yeah. hair or makeup or weight loss or wrinkles or any age, you know, there is a lot of money spent on telling women that they need th- these clothes and these shoes to look the right way. And so that's, you know, an, an additional challenge that have that women have to overcome and not, you know, and recognize how much they are the target of marketing dollars and, and, it's true. and, and really... Re- you know, overcome that. Not only are they the target of marketing dollars, but then there's a a pink tax on many products, right? So, you know, a woman's razor is going to cost more than a man's razor. And then the shaving cream is going to cost more than men's shaving cream. Like there's these, these bigger systemic barriers that I think we try to raise awareness about because once you sort of see that, it's, it's hard to unsee it. Well, and you can make better decisions, I think, for yourself, uh, for sure. Uh, Tell me how people that are listening can get involved. Obviously, you talked about volunteering and that mentoring that is so important, I'm sure, to your work. But, you know, tell me a little bit more for for someone out there listening, saying this, you know, this is something I'd love to help with. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. The number one um, way that that people can get involved is by being a coach. And we very much uh, highlight that you do not need to be a financial expert. Like, in fact, the best coaches are exactly like Michelle, someone who's sort of been there, done that and worked through it and, you know, is willing to be sort of open and vulnerable and, you know, share their experience. Mm -hmm. And and that really resonates with the women in our program. So no financial expertise needed because you're going to go to the workshops together and the other way that individuals can get involved is by presenting those workshops. So, um, you know, just showing up on an evening and, and talking through a topic. Um, some do require financial background and, and others don't, like vision boarding, right? It's just kind of a fun way to uh, center those financial goals in a very visual way. So presenting and coaching are the two ways um, that most volunteers are getting engaged with us at Women's Money Matters. Yeah, that's how I got connected. <laughs> yeah. You know. I love that. Well, thank you so much, both of you. This has been such a great conversation. We could go on for hours talking about this. Uh, This was a great start. Uh, I'd love to have you both back. Danielle and Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes. Thank you, Jessica. And thank you for all the work that you do at Fit Money to make sure our children have a strong start with their financial literacy. Thank you for joining us today on the Fit Money Podcast. Whether you're a caregiver, teacher, or student yourself, there's plenty of great K-12 resources to begin or continue your financial literacy journey at fitmoney.org. Visit the show notes for more from today's guest and financial literacy activities for the classroom, at home, or on the go. We'll see you next time. And until then, happy learning, earning, and saving. The Fit Money Podcast is presented by Fit Money, the leading K-12 financial literacy curriculum providing free, unbiased financial literacy resources. All opinions, products, and references during the show are not endorsed by Fit Money and are solely opinions of the individual. Fit Money does not claim any responsibility for external resources referenced during the episode. All Fit Money products and episodes are provided for educational purposes and are not professional advice.